Anna Sussman brings a remarkable tale from Richmond, California. Aaron Owens was a small-time criminal. He pushed drugs and stole money. He had a pretty long list of nonviolent crimes on his record. But, he says, he never did anything that would really hurt another individual. Nothing violent. That's why he never saw this coming. I was driving down the street. I was listening to music, feeling good about myself, never even thinking that this was going to take place. And it was about, I guess, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know. He pulled me over, and when, the, when he put the red lights on me, I noticed the, the, there was a difference in the way that they had was pulling me over. Well, they wind up with a thousand policemen around me. and, and They took Aaron to county jail. I was standing at the window of the jail. I looked down, and my wife had pulled up outside. And she's crying, and she said, have you heard what is going on? And I said, no. And she said, they're charging you with two murders, you know. And I, I laughed. I, said, I just laughed at her. I said, I said, go on home. I said, don't even worry about that. Now, then somebody's just pulling your leg. Somebody has their wires crossed. I knew I hadn't killed anybody. John Taylor, a young, eager lawyer for the district attorney, was the special prosecutor in Oakland when the case came across his desk. It was the killing of two people. Yeah, it was a gruesome crime. It was an execution kind of killing and double murder on Mother's Day in 1972. It was a high-profile case. Two men were executed, shot in the chest and the head during a drug robbery. Both of them were shot in the chest with 38s and their heads were blown off with sawed-off shotguns. I never was scared about this case because, hey, I know I didn't kill nobody. But John Taylor knew Aaron was his man, and he made it a personal goal to put him away for as long as possible. As a prosecutor, I either thought a defendant I was prosecuting was, in fact, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, or I didn't have to try it. And they marched us in the courtroom, and here comes Mr. Taylor the senior trial lawyer assigned to only these type of cases who never had lost a case. <laughs> he thought he was the cat's meow. You could tell the way he walked in that courtroom, you know. I knew that he was respected in that court. I didn't think in terms of putting away a dangerous guy or getting him off the streets. I would have said that had you asked me, but it was more about ego. He walked right up to me and he said, he said, it's all over, you know, like that. He said, you will be going down, you know, like that, and walked away. I said, whoa, this guy here is something else. Every day in trial, he would say something to me when he walked by. I would say things like, well, you know, I've been a prosecutor for uh, a bunch of years now. I'm doing well in this case. This case is going to result in a, a guilty verdict. They said, we, the jury, find Aaron Owens guilty of first-degree murder. They gave me the the maximum amount of time allowed by law, which meant I'd never get out. I was elated. I'm winning something big. I was in a daze, just numb. Aaron did hard time in Folsom Prison, but he was determined to win his freedom and spent his days at the prison law library. He tried to appeal his case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, but he was denied. He looked for eight years for a way to prove his innocence. I went to a parole hearing one day, and that parole hearing, John was there to tell him, don't ever let me out, I'm a cold-blooded killer. And while we're waiting for the parole board to meet on the case, in a room, 
It was divided in half by bars. On the other side of the bars was Aaron Owens. Hi, Aaron. Hi, John. Then from behind the bars, Aaron simply told John the truth. I said, uh, you convicted an innocent man. Your job didn't call for that. And he said, <laughs> the hell you say? He said, Aaron, save that for the 2,700 other prisoners in here who didn't do nothing, okay? I know what the evidence is. I know you did this. As I'm saying this to him, I, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, do you really believe I committed this crime? I thought he knew that I didn't commit the crime, but I also think that he's working with the system to put me away. I said, listen, this is 1980 California. We're not talking 1940 Alabama. No prosecutor I know would intentionally prosecute a case for any reason if he thought and believed the defendant in the case was not guilty. I said, I'm as good as a free man. If you believed all the time that I committed this crime, I know I could prove to you that I didn't. He said, well, do it. And I leave the hearing, and something's, really, something's bothering me. Something's really bothering me about him in, in this interview, and I can't figure out what it is. When I got home from this thing, I was sitting there, I remember taking my tie off, and I said, this guy might be innocent. He knew when he left out that boardroom that I didn't do that. He said, I think I've made a mistake that I've always dreaded that I would make, and that is convicted an innocent man. This is a prosecutor with a conscience. This is a prosecutor who had... He said he had nightmares of convicting the wrong man. I was, as Tom Wolfe said, a master of the universe. Because I had so much control over people's lives, I was powerful. And I forgot, I, for, I didn't recognize that, and most prosecutors I don't think do. So John Taylor opened up an investigation into Aaron's case. I started realizing, first, that this, he could be innocent. And after a while, he probably was innocent. I wrote a report saying this guy should be exonerated and out of prison. Before they got halfway through that uh, investigation, they said, we got an innocent, we got, a, we got an innocent man in that prison, you know. They had so much evidence that proved my innocence, it was a shame. Many of the deputy district attorneys in the DA's office were critical. They told him, said, no, let that rot. And John just told him, no, I can't do that, I can't do it. And he lost half of his friendship out of that department because they thought that he made them look bad. At my request, the charges were dismissed. He served about ten and a half years in prison. And now John Taylor felt like he had a little making up to do. Next thing I know, I was inviting him to A's games. We just found out we had a lot in common, and uh, we're best friends. And two people couldn't be as close as me and John. I think I felt a special obligation towards him uh, because of my feeling that I certainly owed him something. Well, yeah, he's a chronically late person. And so when we're meeting for something and he's late, I say, we're taking that off the years I cost you. <laughs> we're down, you know, we're down to ten to a quarter. Neither one of us talks about that stuff anymore because uh, we're both at peace with it, actually. He wants to talk to me just about every day. Every day, just about it, we'll take a ride and we go all the ball games, concerts, all this stuff together. And we sit out there and we drink uh, milkshakes and stuff. They call this the malt shop. The malt shop. What do I drink? Root beer float. That's right, with yogurt. That man knows. He better know. This is what we do all the time. Sit here and watch girls walk by. We don't do this wee stuff. I objectively look at passerby. (laughs) 
I do want the world to know that I love this man. I love you back. We want to thank both John and Aaron for coming into our studios. And it turns out we're lucky to have known Aaron at all. He told us that he would have been executed had California not had a moratorium on the death penalty at the time of his sentencing. You are listening to Snap Judgment, and to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.